So are you the kind of person who likes to make New Year's resolutions? According to the interwebs, the 10 most common New Year's resolutions are to exercise more, to lose weight, to get organized, to learn a new skill or hobby, to live life to the fullest, to save money or spend less money, to quit smoking or drinking or using your phone too much or giving up some other habit, to spend more time with family and friends, to travel more or to read more. I'm not much of a resolution maker, but I know that the arrival of a new year tends to be a natural time for us to take stock, to reflect, to consider what we might want to happen in the year 2021. We're concluding a two-week conversation in which we've been asking ourselves about the year that has passed and the new year that has come. And so last week, we, we started this conversation as we're using these two prayers of Paul in the book of Ephesians. And we started with the first prayer in chapter one, and we looked back at the year 2020 and said, how might God want me to evaluate that year? And we talked about how the priority, the preeminent priority for God is that we would know him better, not just know about him, but that we would know him better, we would know him more. And then we ask ourselves, as we look back on the year of 2020, how have we come to know him better? Do we know him better? Have we experienced him in new ways? What are the ways that we found him to be at work, even in a year of change and difficulty? This week, we're going to ask a similar question. And we're going to be looking behind, not at the year that has passed, but not, not looking behind, but looking forward at the year that's coming and saying, what might be God's priority for my focus in this coming year? As followers of Jesus, as people who belong to Christ, what might God want me to focus on? And that's a very different question than what are my goals or what do I want to achieve or what am I resolved to do? Those are all fine questions to ask and answer. But as I read scripture, I see it less concerned with New Year's resolutions and more concerned with us evaluating what is the work that God is doing in us. Not the work that we're doing, but how is God at work? Remember, we're using prayers to ask and answer these questions. And the essence of a prayer is not me declaring to God what I'm going to do, but instead requesting that God act on our behalf. It's asking God to be the one who is resolved to come and move on my behalf and on your behalf. And so we're gonna, we're gonna ask that question this morning. We're gonna turn to Ephesians 3, and we're gonna say this very basic question. What's the work that I desire to see God do in 2021. And as we we soak ourselves in this prayer of Paul, we're gonna see ourselves informed by what he thinks is important for us and what might be important for us to ask of God in this coming year. There's no doubt this year is still full of uncertainty for us. We may have grown acclimated to the changes and the pace of changes from 2020, and yet it is undeniable that we're entering another year of uncertainty As a matter of fact, I think this year holds more uncertainty for us in the terms of our day-to-day lives than any other time I can remember in my lifetime. Who knows what next month is going to be like? Who knows what spring break is going to be like? Who knows what things will be like in three months from now or the summer? And yet, maybe we could see that these prayers might inform our asking and our requests of God as we move into that uncertainty. So read with me. This is Ephesians chapter 3 beginning in verse 14. This is what the scripture says. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, 
that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God, I do ask that you would grant unto us an experience of the immensity of your love and that in experiencing your love, we may have a fullness of joy in you and our hearts may become welcome habitation for you to take up residence. Ask it in Christ's name, amen. So again, this is a difficult passage. It's one big, long, run-on sentence. But we see it starts with Paul saying, for this reason, I'm kneeling before the Father. He's pleading with God. He's begging with God. He is seriously taking up with God a request on behalf of the people that he loves. And so however we choose to divide it up, we know that Paul is intentional and desperate that God would act in these ways. And so for us today, we're just going to look at two, the two main requests that Paul is making and the outcomes associated with those requests. So what is Paul asking for and what does he think is going to happen because he's making the requests? So let's look at the first one together. Look down in verse 16. We see uh, the scriptures say this, that, that um, Paul is asking that God may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Well, what is this strength and power that he's talking about? Notice first that it's a strength and power that does not come from us. It comes from God. It is a motivating force. It is, it, is, it is an energizing force. It's not a bolt of electricity, but that we might experience this energizing power that comes from God's spirit in our lives. The picture here is not really just kind of this burst of energy, but it's more like plugging in an item so that it can work. You have a lamp, but if a lamp is not plugged into electricity, it's never gonna provide light. This is the kind of picture that's being offered here, that to us, we need, for us, we need a supply of energy. We need a supply of motivating force, a strengthening and a power accessible to us to do the things that God has called us to do. And where does that power come? Did you notice that uh, Paul is asking that we would be strengthened in our inner being? So it's not just any kind of strength. We know what outward strength is. We know what it is to be strong in our body. But what is it to be strong in our inner being? Paul uses this phrase a couple other places. But one particular place is in 2 Corinthians 4. And he says that, therefore, we don't lose heart. And so losing heart, we see in Ephesians, the verse right before this, Ephesians 3.13. We see it there again in 2 Corinthians 4. It's the opposite of being strengthened inward. It's, it's losing heart. So we want to be strengthened in our heart, in our inner being. He says we don't lose heart because our outward selves are wasting away, but the inner self is being renewed day by day. 
So there's this distinction between the outer man, the scripture would say, and the inner man, the outer being and the inner being. And the outer being is the the being that we present to everyone else. It's the self that everyone can see. It's the life that we live in public. But that inner being, that inner being that we're asking to be strengthened, is what's inside us. It's the seat of our will and desires and emotions and decision-making and volition. It's everything about us that makes us. This isn't like body and soul dualism. It's more that we have an outward-facing part of ourselves and an inner part of ourselves. And Paul is asking specifically that it would be this inner place that would be strengthened. We all know this. We all know that we have this kind of inside part to ourselves that not everyone gets to see, where we make our decisions and we feel things and we think about things and where we desire things. And it's in that inner place that Paul wants God to be at work. And so what is he actually asking for? What is the work that he might have? He's, it's directed towards a particular outcome. So that he's asking that the spirit would be strengthening us and empowering us, not produced by ourselves, that we would be plugged in to the energy that God provides in our inner being so that what? Well, look down in verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's the outcome. If the request is for God to strengthen us by his power in our inner being, the outcome is that Christ may dwell in our hearts. Now, I know what you may may be thinking. You may be thinking, Josh, Christ already dwells in our hearts. I know this. This is the gospel. I know that when we repent and we turn our lives over to God, he comes and makes his home in us because uh, he, he, he has promised himself to us. And so as we trust in his forgiving work of the cross, he brings us new life and life with him forever and he comes to make his home with us. And that is 100% true. But that is just the beginning of the story. That, that is a process that extends our life long through. So when Paul says here, I'm praying that you would be strengthened in your inner parts so that Christ may dwell in you, he's talking about a continual dwelling. Yes, God comes to take up residence in us, but he needs to continue living there. And so we all know what this is like. I'm assuming most of us have moved into a home before and someone has handed us the keys to our home and, and, and it's not, we haven't made it ours yet, but we have a new place to live and over, over the next coming days we move all of our furniture in and we move all of our things in and then maybe over the next few months we, we do some painting and we hang some things on the wall and then maybe over several years we kind of start tweaking things and making that how we want it to and then maybe you find that over a series of years you've, knock down some walls in some places or you've redone the plumbing or you've you've added on an addition and all of a sudden over the accumulation of years what was yours all along you live there is becoming more and more like your home this is the work that god wants to do in us the dwelling that god wants to do in us the original language has a couple different words for dwelling. One of them has to do with kind of like a stranger coming and living in a foreign place. But this particular word has to do with someone coming and taking up permanent residence. And it's an ongoing process. And so when it says that God might dwell, Jesus might dwell in our hearts through faith, that he might come to take permanent residence by ongoing, continual trust in him. And we need the strength and the power and the spirit to do it. 
This is about, this outcome is about the continual residence of Christ in our hearts. It, it happens by faith, and faith is not a one-time mental assent or agreement to a set of religious ideas. It's about the daily outworking of trust in Jesus Christ, submission to his will on a daily basis. Faith is something we do every day. I've never owned a home. I've rented many places to live. And when you're a renter, or when you're a guest, you don't really have the freedom to change everything in the house or the home that you might want. I think so many times, sometimes we're we're inviting Christ into our life as a house guest, and we still want to maintain control and authority. But Christ does not come to us as a renter. He does not come to us as a house guest. He comes to us as Lord, and he wants to take up permanent residence in our lives. We've all seen this happen on a million home makeover shows, right? When a house is a little bit run down or it's getting a little old and so the experts come in and the experts come in and they address the situations and they change things around and they bring in new things and all of a sudden people come back to their home and they're so amazed at what's happened in their house. This is the work that Paul is praying about that would happen in our hearts. And so we need the power of the Spirit to do those things. We make our heart uh, Christ's home as we use the power that God gives us to say no to ungodliness. We make a heart, our heart a home for Jesus as we use the power that God gives us so that we can, we can uh, say uh, yes to generosity. We do this as we, can, we, we say yes to loving the unlovely as we experience God's power poured out in us to be sacrificially generous As we act by faith, not to be overcome by fear and worry, we're seeing the power of God's in our lives to suddenly make our hearts, to work on making our hearts a place where Christ can take up residence. So that's our first petition, this first request and its outcome. Scripture puts forward this being of critical importance that God would give us the strength in our inner spiritual selves to make our hearts a place where Christ can feel at home. And it takes the power of God to do it. So if that's the first request, what's the second request? Well, did you notice uh, further down at the end of verse 17, here's what it says. At the end of verse 17, it says, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Here's the second request, that God may give us the strength to comprehend the immensity of his love. My guess is that you're familiar with this language. You've probably been encouraged by it before. You've probably heard something like, hey, like reflect on how high and wide and long and deep is the love of Christ for us. But let's dig a little bit deeper behind that language and really think about what's being said here. Paul is stretching to describe something that he thinks is actually unknowable. And so he says, he uses these these words of dimension, length and height and depth and width, and they're not really describing particular aspects of God's love. Instead, they're describing the immensity of the whole thing, that God's love is something that cannot be exhausted, that it can be known fully. We can know that it, it it is big, but we can't ever reach the extents of it. It's so much bigger than you could imagine, is what Paul is saying. Two years ago, uh, our denomination, ECO, had its national gathering in Colorado Springs. 
And uh, in walking around Colorado Springs, you may have been there, it's right on the front edge of the, the, the Rocky Mountains, on the, the front range of the Rocky Mountains. And kind of lingering in the distance over, over standing over the town is Pikes Peak. And we would always look at Pikes Peak and it was everywhere we drove, it was just right there. And I was like, oh, look at that cute little mountain. Oh, that's Pikes Peak. And I've seen it many times before. I, as a matter of fact, here's a picture of Bob and I with Pikes Peak in the background there. Um, look at it, isn't it a cute little mountain just, just hanging out there? It doesn't even look that much bigger than everything else around it looming over us the whole week. It wasn't until we were driving to the airport the last day we were there. I think we asked the Uber driver or someone said, I just kind of asked, you know, how, how long to go to Pikes Peak? And they said, oh, it's like over a half hour drive. That thing's about 15 miles away. Wh what? It's 15 miles away? The whole week I had spent looking at this mountain that I thought was just this cute little mountain just a little ways away. And it turns out that it is so much bigger than I had realized. Pikes Peak is over 14,000 feet tall. It is the tallest point of any place east of it on this continent. It's the tallest peak in the front range of the Rockies. Like, Pikes Peak is immense. And I had spent the whole week looking at it saying, oh yeah, there's a big mountain, but not really understanding until someone told me how truly far away it was and that I could still see it. Like, that I really understood how big it was. This is a little bit of what's happening here. Paul's trying to say, hey, you may understand you're rooted and you're established in God's love, but now I want you to really grasp how big that love is. I know that you know the love of God, but now think about how big that love actually is for you. To meet you where you are, it comes and rescues you from your sin. It makes you part of God's family. It, it promises you eternal life. It empowers you to do all that you need to do. It is grace upon grace, the scripture said, poured out in our lives. The love of God is immense, and do we, can we really understand it? Because at the heart of this request is a paradox. Did you notice it? The paradox is this. Did you hear what he says? He says, I'm praying that you would know the love that is beyond knowing? Would you know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? And you're like, kind of, give me a break, Paul. What do you mean? How can I know the love that is past what I could know? And it's a paradox, but there's some implication here that would do us well to consider. Here's the first implication, that to know this immense love of God is actually not a mental exercise, or not simply a mental exercise. That to know that which surpasses knowledge means it's not just something that we do with our brains, but it's something that we would experience. It takes the power and the strength of God to know that which is unknowable. And so we have the other implications that we need God to reveal this unknowable thing to us because we can't know it in our own, on our own. We can't like muscle ourselves to supply our own will and desire and knowledge so that we could know the love of God. No, this is the work of God to reveal to us that which we couldn't know otherwise. There's all kinds of presuppositions behind this. First, that apart from the power of God, we will have little to no appreciation of the love that's in Christ. Here's the second thing, that if you have experienced the love that God has for you, it is clearly the working of the Spirit. You didn't do it on your own. That, that the heart of this request is that God would make known to us that which can't be known, and it has to do with the immense, inexhaustible nature of his love for his people. Did you notice we do it together? 
with the saints. So there's, there's another implication here that it's not just something we can do on our own, that this is, happens in community and with other people. And so here's this strange request, make known to us that which suppresses knowledge, but what's the outcome? We'll look down and see what the outcome is here in verse 19, the end of verse 19, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To experience the glory of Christ's love for us then means that we will become increasingly filled up with God's presence and an awareness of him in our lives. Friends, this is the biblical vision of the good life. To experience the love of God and then to be filled with his presence, with all the fullness that he has to offer. You know, if someone asked me to describe what new creation would be like, if someone asked me, what does the Bible say about heaven? I might reach for this verse first. Because this is the best that God possibly has to offer for us. Do you see it? That we would know the love of God that passes knowing, so that we would experience the love of God in some way, and then be filled with him. That is the good life. That is the best we could wish for. It is the most we could hope for in the coming year. That is the best thing that could happen to you or I in 2021, to experience the love of God in such a way that we would be filled with the fullness of him. I think of David praying in Psalm 63 where he says he just wants more of God, that he says, your love, O Lord, is better than life that somehow experiencing the love of God poured out into our lives is better than anything else we could experience. In the context of this passage, we become increasingly aware that, that this is, again, the work of God. And what is happening here is a restoration to us of God's original intention for us. You remember way back in Genesis, we were told that we were to be, we were bearers of God's image in the world. We were his representatives in this world. And so when Paul says, I'm, I'm, I'm praying that you would know God's love so you can be filled with God, he's praying for an ori- a return to that original intention that God has for us, that we would reflect God's image back to the world, that we would be bearers of the image that he truly, he truly has for us. And, and what has happened to us in the fall, what has happened to us because of sin, would suddenly be undone by the love of God. And because of the experience of love of God, the consistent experience, consistent experience of his love, we might know him better and he might come to dwell in us. And so we ask ourselves, how do we experience this love of God? If this is the best thing that could happen to me in 2021, to experience the love of God, to know that which can't be known, and because I know that love that can't be known, I'm filled with the fullness of God, how does that happen? Well, here's what you and I, how it does, here's how it doesn't happen. Here's what we don't need. I don't need five steps to being a better Christian, right? This isn't about nine ways to perfect, to be a good spouse or to perfect your, your, um, your Bible study time, to be a good parent or a student or a boss. This isn't about like the six clear steps to being an A plus um, student or to getting that promotion. This isn't what the Bible is interested in. Instead, This is about the good life that God brings to us. We are asking God to provide for us the supernatural, meaning something beyond our abilities to attain. So the supernatural 
awareness of his love for us so that Christ might be increasingly at home in us and we might represent him in the world. That's the essence of this prayer. What I want most for all of us in 2021 is that we would experience this love. I found over the years that this experience can come in many ways. Some people have a tangible experience of God's love when they repent of their sin and they experience freedom from it. And they know how far God's love would have gone to reach them where they were and, and they're set free from that bondage and they just, they know how much God has loved them to rescue them from their brokenness. Some people experience that love of God as they, they experience the joys of life and, and, and beautiful things happen. And in the middle of that beauty, we turn and we say, wow, God's love to me must be so significant. Look how much God loves me to allow this to be in my life. But I would say above all, there are really two ways that people tend to experience the unknowable love of God, the immensity of the love of God. The first is this. I have found that many, many followers of Jesus have quiet, simple, almost unexplainable, but profound moments of realizing the love that God has for them. That in quiet and easy and simple ways, we might have this encounter with God in which his spirit says to our spirit, I love you. I remember a handful of times this happened to me, but I remember the first time, I remember I was in college and I, I had come home for fall break and it was good just to be home in a way and I remember going uh, up to my bedroom and I had the windows open. It was just a beautiful afternoon. There was a little chill in the air and, and I, I sat on my bed and my cat came and sat on my lap and it just felt like nothing could be better. It just felt perfect and I remember just quietly in my spirit, the Lord whispering to me that beyond this, I love you. I've talked to so many Christians who've had similar experience. That quiet whisper of God in their spirit, that empowering of, of, of God's work in their inner places that says, I love you. But most often, I think people experience the love of God in suffering, in pain, in hardship, and in difficulty. We rarely know the full extent of God's love for us without knowing pain and hardship. Sorrow, grief, and struggle tend to reveal to us how consistent and faithful God is. After all, the most significant act of love happened on a dark, dark day on a deserted hill outside of a city where God himself was rejected and tortured and died. And that is the most profound picture of love that we have. I can't say that I fully understand it, but I do know that in hard things, in quiet ways, sometimes we best know the love of God as we learn to endure the hard things that come in our lives. So that makes this prayer an incredibly dangerous and risky prayer. Because to ask God that he would give to you or that he would give to me an experience of his love that allows me to be filled with who he is means that I'm also giving him permission to do that in ways I may not expect. 
that there might be ways that, that God is going to show me his love that means suffering or that means uh, being unknown or there might be ways that God is concerned about things that I'm just not concerned about. One commentator put it this way. He said, God is more interested in our holiness than in our comfort. He more greatly delights in the integrity and purity of his church than in the material well-being of its members. He shows himself more clearly to men and women who enjoy him and obey him than to men and women whose horizons revolve around good jobs, nice houses, and reasonable health. He's far more committed to building a temple in which his spirit dwells than in preserving our reputations. He's more vitally disposed to display his grace than to flatter our intelligence. He's more concerned for justice than for our personal ease. He's more committed to strengthening our faith than strengthening our popularity. He prefers that his people live in disciplined gratitude and holy joy rather than pushy self-reliance and glitzy happiness. So what might God want for us in 2021? The dangerous expectation that we might experience the love of God in a way that allows Christ to make his home in us and us to represent him well in the world or that maybe we'd all just be happy and healthy and safe for a year. You know, there's some questions we can ask ourselves to help clarify what we want 2021 to be. Here's some things I think it might do well for all of us to answer this week as we've entered a new year. How about this? What if we ask ourselves, where do I have room to grow and mature in my inner being? How do I want to be spiritually different in 12 months from the person that I am today? Or what steps can I take to put myself in places where I, I can experience the love that Jesus has for me? Or how about this? What relationships do I need to invest in so that I can experience the love of God alongside other believers? Or who do I need to pray diligently for this year? that they may experience the love of God in all its fullness. Or this, when hardships come my way this year, what truth of God will I cling to? When joys come my way this year, what truth of God will I proclaim? Friends, God's good life, the best that he has for us in 2021, so we would experience his love and that we would be filled up, that our hearts would become homes a home for Jesus. We are his renovation project. 2021 isn't a, a year for us to achieve and to succeed and to make everything work. That's fine, but 2021 is the year for God to come into our hearts, to make it his home, for us to be his place of work, his residence, to pour out his love and for us to know it. But so now it's our job to hand over the keys to keep handing over the keys to our own hearts, to consistently tell him, God, strengthen me with power so that I can live as you would have me to live. S show me your love so that I can be filled with the fullness. Come in spirit, do that work in me because I am incapable of achieving it on my own. And yet I can put myself in places where it's more likely to happen. It's hard to imagine God revealing his love in its fullness to us apart from a dedication to knowing the scriptures. We will know the love of God 
as we experience him in his word. I can put myself in a place where I'm likely to experience the love of God as I commit myself to prayer and worship. As I listen to him and as I speak to him my praises and my thanksgiving and my concerns and my offerings, I can experience the love of God. Don't miss also that we can experience the love of God in community. It is together with the saints that we experience the strengthening and the power to comprehend God's love for us. Friends, if you are not in a regular group of committed Christians discussing God's word and sharing life with them, please do that in 2021. Not as a resolution, but as a way to put yourself in a place in which you might experience the love that God has for you. We experience the love that God has for us in sacrificial service to others. Give more than you think that you should. Give generously of your time and your resources and your money and watch how you experience the love that God has for you. You might also experience the love of God as we express solidarity with the hurting and the oppressed, as we learn to identify with those who don't have what we have, as we learn to have sympathy for others. And in that sympathy and compassion, we know the very heart of God. Friends, I don't want 2021 to be the year you work for something. I am praying desperately that 2021 is the year that we all experience a greater dimension of God's love poured out for us. There's there's an old anonymous poem there's some thoughts about where it came from. It may be close to a thousand years old, but, but we read a modern retelling of it, and it's this. Could we with ink the oceans fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Friends, I pray that you know the love of Jesus. That in knowing his love, your heart becomes his home. Let's pray. God, I do ask that we might know more of you. Whatever that may bring. And that that picture of the good life might be a picture of how wide and high and long and deep is the love you have for us. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.